1984, Carlene and I left for the mission field to go to the Dominican Republic. First three years we were there, we evangelized, discipled, uh, evangelized and baptized a number of people. But we quickly found out that as fast as we were evangelizing and baptizing, they were leaving. And by God's grace, he introduced us to the idea of discipleship. So the last two years that we were in the Dominican Republic, we set forth to disciple. Yes, we still evangelize and baptize some, but our view was beyond just baptizing. It was discipling. Two and a half years ago, some 25 years after we had left the Dominican Republic, Carly and I were able to go back. And as we saw the people, the people that were still there, still faithful, were those people that we discipled those last two years. And what was a joy for us was not only to see them faithful, but their children and their grandchildren faithful and serving God. It passed from generation to generation while those that we baptized those first three years were not to be found. This morning, I have a question for you, a decision to ask from you. Decide. Are you a believer or a disciple? We're going to look at three very well-known scriptures this morning. And we want to see how we can go beyond just believing. The first one's John 8, 31, 32. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him. Notice who he's directing his conversation to, his teaching. Those Jews who had believed in him, they were already believers in him. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of me. Notice the conditional use of the language there. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And the promise for that condition is, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. There is a difference between being a believer and being a disciple. Believers are easy to find. Our churches are full of believers. They are not full of disciples. They're not full of disciples. There's a difference. And just to show that difference, it's just remarkable to follow John chapter 8 all the way through the chapter. And there's a discussion or argument between Jesus and the religious leaders and those believers there. And it comes to a point where Jesus finally says, before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. I am. And that was the breaking point. That pushed the believers over the, over the hump or whatever, and they turned against Jesus. Look, look what he says at the end. John 8, 59. Therefore they picked up stones. Who are they? They were the very same believers in 831. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Are you a believer or a disciple? There's a big difference in what you do in how you do it, and what your priority is. Believer or disciple? Decide which are you. Second one, we want to look at build for eternity. Build for eternity. Matthew 7, 
24 to 27, very common, well-known scripture for us. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, now notice there, acts on them, that's disciple, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act, knows that's the believer, hears these words of mine and does not act on them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, normally when we're thinking of building your house on sand, we think of beaches, okay? And we think, oh, that's awfully dumb to build a house on a beach, you know, without firm foundation. But let's try to picture what they probably envisioned. We have a picture there put up. They were thinking of what they, what's called a wadi, a wadi is a kind of a riverbed, but it's in kind of a desert. And you got to think of Palestine was very much a desert at this time. And only once in a great while would it rain. And only once in even a greater while would the rain be so hard and so fast that it washed anything out that's there. Now, if you're going to build a house, if you're going to look for a, a way to do this, wouldn't you much rather build on nice, level land? And try to, try to picture yourself building a foundation on those rocks. Not easy. Not easy. And especially you think, well, it hasn't rained here for years. That's probably true. Sometimes it doesn't rain for five, ten years. But when it rains, it rains. Okay? And being in Ecuador now for over 27 years... We have six months of nothing, no rain. And we have six months that just rains and rains and rains. And with the heat and humidity, everything turns green, even the sidewalks. Okay? <laughs> but these people are thinking, well, if I build here on the, on the wadi, it's really pretty firm ground. It's not like the beaches that we're, we're used to. It's very firm ground. Eh, Ten years from now, whatever. It shows results quickly. And we see churches trying to build results quickly. And it goes good for five or ten years maybe. And then it is washed away. A little controversy, a little few problems. I know know here you don't have any problems, you know. And and the sheep always uh, behave well, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, you can pay for that compliment later, okay? (laughs) Uh, but this is what they envisioned, this type of a picture in their lives. Pragmatism sometimes wins out when we build on the sand. It's fast, it works. I've had people say, God surely blesses this program because we have more people. That's pragmatism. Doesn't necessarily mean that God is doing the work there. But to build on the rock is going to take some effort. You have to vision it long term. And you can't just do what comes easy. And in our society, ever more so now than you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, 
we look for something quick and easy. And not something that <clears throat> we can invest in for a lifetime. So, which are you building? You're going to build for eternity? Or are you going to build for what's quick and gives results? Believer or disciple, which are you? Which are you? The third thing, we're going to spend a lot of time with this third point here. Make the main thing the main thing. I think there's even a song, something like that, isn't there? Some, someone saying, make the main thing the main thing. And what's the main thing? Well, let's go to Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it goes on. Now, if you look up and do a little reference with uh, Greek here, and I'm not a, a Greek expert, but I knew, do know how to use some of the helps there, you find that there's only one true imperative or command form here in the Greek. And it's not go. And it's not baptize. It's the word that we use two words for, make disciples. Make disciples. That is the true imperative there. The main thing is here. Our main goal is not to evangelize. Yes, Christ came so that we may be saved. But it goes on beyond that. Not just saved, but become disciples of him. So we evangelize, we baptize, but our view is make disciples. In, in Ecuador, we use a 11-lesson uh, kind of a program text that we use to evangelize and do home Bible studies with. But the people know by the third or fourth lesson, that once you're baptized, that's not the end. It's the beginning. The way we evangelize is in such a way that when they come to the end and they make the decision to be baptized, they're already starting to learn to dig into God's Word, be responsible for their spiritual growth, and know that it's going to be a lifetime process. And that's hard for us to conceptualize Often we're used to grades one, two, three, four, five, get to high school, go to college, get our master's, whatever. We're all looking at it from a content and a idea of well, we've completed, we've arrived. Discipleship is not that. We never arrive until, like we were talking in science school in Mark's class this morning, it's lifetime, it goes on. Hang on. The main thing, make disciples. Okay? Unfortunately, discipleship in many churches is a side ministry. It's, and, and without trying to put down any of the other ministries, you know, it's, we have Sunday school, we have uh, different Bible study groups, uh, we have youth group, uh, we have the worship ministry team, okay? But they put discipleship as a Side thing along with the rest. No, discipleship is the main thing. The main thing. And that goes, from there goes out the other things. Now, I wanted to say to you in 2020, it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay? Teaching you to observe. Not to know. The word observe here is to put into practice. So much of our Bible studies, and if you go to a, a religious bookstore and you look at a Bible study, 
you'll find the Bible studies are information-oriented. Very few of them have application questions. They'll say, well, you know, what was the main idea of this chapter? Uh, what do you think of uh, the author's opinion on this? No, discipleship goes on beyond that. It's application-oriented. And it's application-oriented to the point of saying, okay, what are you going to do with it this week? What is the step you're going to take this week? And you come back next week to your discipleship group, and your discipleship leader says, well, how does it go? Now, that kind of puts us on the edge sometimes in our comfort zone. And we as leaders and teachers sometimes feel uncomfortable with that. Oh, boy, I'm just tightening the screws down a little bit more. But that's what discipleship is. It's putting into practice. It's becoming accountable to each other. Not in a pyramid sense of accountability, but in a mutual group setting of accountability. Teaching you all, all that I have commanded. Now, wow, that's a lot to be taught. A lot to be taught. What kind of ministry, and I do not know how your church is set up, so I'm going to plead uh, ignorance here, okay? Uh, so if I step on your toes, that's, sorry about that. I wasn't meaning to do that, and it's not pointed at you. What program do you have or plan do you have to teach all the people here all that Jesus has commanded? Do we have a, an idea of what's first, what's second, what's third, what's fourth? Okay. Sometimes you go to Sunday school all your lives and you never graduate. And actually you actually just repeat things over and over again, the same thing. Uh, Dallas Willard, who's kind of the, the guru of, of discipleship, uh, unfortunately he passed away a few years ago, states in his book, The Great Omission, that he's never come across a church that really has a plan to teach all that Jesus has commanded. And so it's no surprising idea or no surprising reality that we come to people that have been Christians 20, 30, 40 50 years, and there's still a great degree of immaturity there. It's not how much you know. It's not how long you've been a Christian. It's what you put into practice. In Ecuador, we've developed uh, the salvation ministry program that our five churches are using, and we have two more church plants in the process as well in addition to those five. And there's uh, three levels of discipleship. It's going to cover uh, about seven years if you go straight through. Nobody goes straight through, okay? Uh, it takes time to incorporate things into your lives. But it takes minimum seven years of doing that. And if you go through that, we work at three areas. The first area is Christian character. This is the main area that we stress. Why? Because in a moment you'll see, it's the area that makes the next two areas work together. Christian character. It was interesting when we were doing the video before the sermon, 
If you look at those, how many of those areas are character traits? And if you look at John, when Jesus says, yeah, the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. It's a character trait that's put into practice. Right? But it's hard to define some of those things. But that Christian character is what is the hardest to teach and the most important to teach and the longest to learn. Second area we look on is ministry ability. Becoming a part of the body of Christ and becoming the active part. What is your ministry here? Why are you here? God has placed you in this congregation for a reason. Not just by coincidence. And what is the ministry you're to fill? We try to bring the person to see two things. One, they're part of the body. Uh, with our Western individualism that we have, it's hard for us to think in the area of community. And two, that they are an important part and a necessary part, and what they do on Sunday mornings or throughout the week affect the others, or what they don't do affect the others. We are did it together as a body. That's how God designed us as a church. And it takes time to get the person to see that. And by time, I mean no three months. I mean, we're working at it, and we're 25, 27 years into Ecuador. Okay? And we're still working at that. The easiest thing to teach is the third area, Bible knowledge. Oh, yeah, we can say the books of the Bible forward and backward. Maybe you have the... Twelve disciples' names learned. I never learned those. You know? Okay? Uh, but Bible knowledge is the easiest thing to teach. It's the easiest thing to learn. It's the easiest thing to ask the person, well, uh, what did you learn this week? And we usually state some fact or principle. We try to teach our people this, what did you do this week based on what you learned? Each of our areas, each of those three areas, has measurable behavioral goals or objectives. Okay? Measurable, I mean, for Christian character, uh, maybe we're doing the Christian character of uh, being faithful. And there's a measurable behavioral goal that the person usually sets uh, personally. We do not say, you know, you have to be this. We don't try to do cookie-cutter discipleship. But they along with their group, set a measurable behavioral goal that they're going to be faithful in this by doing this, this, and this. It has to be measurable, has to be observable goal. And in the area of ministry building, same thing. So in each trimester of discipleship, we have three different topics, and each of them will hopefully produce three changes in that person during those uh, 10 to 13 weeks. That sometimes becomes uh, uncomfortable, okay? But they know coming in that that's what's expected of them, okay? And they even signed a uh, little agreement saying, I give permission to my tutor to, to confront me in these areas. And I promise to share with the group what God is doing in my life. And so each week when we come back and we ask how things are going, they know the others are in the same boat as they are. But each has measurable behavioral goals. 
And uh, let me see if I want, yeah, we'll go ahead and add this in here, right here. The idea of these measurable behavioral goals and you setting these uh, objectives is avoid the use of the word more. Oh, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to love more. I'm going to be at peace more with my family. Well, more is so vague that it's easy to say, oh, yeah, maybe I did that. No, we're going to try to put that into concrete statements. I'm going to love my wife this week by washing the dishes or something, okay? I am going to uh, love my neighbor because I'm going to go over because my neighbor needs help with the yard. Okay? Come up with observable, measurable goals. That's what the idea of objectives is. The area we do on our practice of discipleship, it's a requirement for leading in any form. Quite in any form. If you're going to be up front, you're going to be in discipleship and faithful in discipleship. Every end of each trimester, the discipleship ministry produces a list for the leadership of saying, these are the people that were faithful in discipleship. Now, you cannot be considered faithful in discipleship just by attending or just by filling out your notebook. You're faithful because you put things into practice and you've been faithful in these other two areas as well. The thing is this. If you are not growing in your relationship with God, how can you make or help others to go closer to God? So whether you're up front playing an instrument, you're leading a, a Bible school, school class, Sunday school class, uh, uh, you're leading singing, uh, you're a ministry coordinator, uh, you're an elder or deacon, you have to be growing closer to God. Uh, Howard Henderson puts it this way, he who stops learning today stops teaching tomorrow. Okay? So, idea of growing. It, really, with this type of uh, requirement for our leadership, it produces a lot of stability in the leadership and maturity. And some of our churches have faced some really tough struggles and they've come out shining. It hasn't been easy. Uh, one congregation had to publicly had to publicly publicly tell the minister they can no longer be a minister because of an inappropriate relationship with a woman. They attempted all forms of restoration of repentance and the person wasn't willing to do so. It shook up the congregation. But you know when the dust settled, the only people that that was lost unfortunately were the minister, his wife, and the other lady. We lost no one else. Even relatives and immediate persons of their families did not leave. That's because of the stability and the character that had been grown in them to follow Christ. It's a requirement. It is the main ministry. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, other ministries depend and grow out of discipleship. Out of this list that we produce, then the people know in, in worship who can be in front to play songs, to lead songs. Uh, they know who can, the Sunday school group knows who can be in front 
uh, teaching Sunday school class. But the thing is, if it's a main ministry, then probably you're going to have to limit other things. Uh, one of my statements that my wife has finally got through to me, and I'm still working on probably though, is if you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Our lives are 24 hours. It's full. And if you're going to disciple and be a, to be a disciple, you're going to have to say no to something else because there's just not enough room. There's not enough time. So if you say yes to something in discipleship in your church, you have to say no to something else in discipleship, you know, something, no to something else in, in your ministry. So there's a price you have to pay on a personal level, and there's a price you have to pay on a congregational level. And to be honest with you, I find very few churches that are willing to pay the price on a congregational level. Because what? They're sacred cows. I don't know what your sacred cows are here, okay? But I'm pretty sure almost every church has them, okay? But there's such a delicious flavor of sacrificing a sacred cow. You know, just putting that meat on that grill and that aroma, you know, ah, it smells so well. It's not easy, okay? But I'm sure there's a couple sacred cows there. If you're going to disciple as, as we should, you have to sacrifice a few sacred cows, and that's hard. And there's people that poured their lives into those sacred cows. And maybe they didn't start off as a sacred cow either. Not a very valid ministry. But it's something that's, well, we've already done it, always done it that way. And so we think we need to continue that way. I want to say, share an example of a congregation down there, the Samanas congregation. Uh, it's a congregation maybe a little bit smaller than what we have here. You have a picture there. Okay? Uh, there were the first church that we started in 1990, 91. Uh, they're running about oh, 80 to 100. Uh, if there's food at the end with a fellowship meal, there's a few more. <laughs> you have that here, don't you? Okay? Especially at the end of the year with Christmas dinner and they have the end of the year dinner as well, you know, it grows. They have decided, they have caught the vision of reaching unreached people groups, and they took a, made a decision of saying 20% of their monthly offering to missionaries in an unreached area. 20% of their, or they are spending right now about 40% of their monthly offering in this new church work. So there's 20% going to, going to unreached people group in Central Asia, and 40% going to the new church work. In the congregation, I said, this is probably a little bit smaller than, than you are here. And not only that, they added another thing onto that. They took their main leader and moved him out to the area where the new church is being planted. John, are you ready to move? They, if they send you out in that area? <laughs> Put you on the spot here. <laughs> are, you ready? are you ready to send him? <laughs> There's a price to pay. And I tell you the truth, the church is struggling. 
under this. But they're alive under that as well. They're living. They're growing. They're, they're dealing with trying to raise up new leaders. And new leaders are, are trying to learn their way. And there's mistakes that are being made. But they're learning and growing. This will be the second congregation that they have started. They started what is now their keyest congregation, which is now our largest congregation, running uh, around 100, 110, uh, except for mealtime, and then, then it's about 150. <laughs> so there's a price to be paid. So decide, are you a believer or a disciple? Are you willing to build for eternity? Because if you're a believer, what shows that, that you are a believer? Tell me, in a specific way, how you have grown during the last year as a disciple. Not by saying more, either. In specific ways, can you name one or two areas that you've grown? Say, Bill, I have grown because this is what I did before, and this is what I'm doing now, and this is what God is blessed with. How are you building your life in church? Build for eternity. It's going to take time. If you're looking at a serious discipleship program, you need to have a vision of 8 to 10 to 15 years. And not say, well, this is just a year we're going to produce disciples or we're going to put emphasis on discipleship. And I want to encourage you, if, you, if you're looking at, at discipleship in a, in a bigger way, to not use discipleship materials that are mass-produced. You can use them, but with the the exception that you have to adapt them to what you're doing. I find very few materials that are printed that have good application questions in them. They're mostly usually information type things, or they're very vague type questions. And you have to adapt them to your specific area and where your people are in their walk with Christ. Now, you guys have supported us for more than 10 years, and we appreciate that. But I'm going to challenge you this morning. Are you ready to take your next step? Oh, well, that might be sending John over to <laughs> a new area. I don't know. Okay? But in, in, in mission involvement... In, in furthering your outreach there, are you willing to go the next step? Not just send your funds, and we're, we're thankful for your funds that you send, but are you thinking of how can you prepare people in your congregation to go to the foreign mission field? That's fine as long as they send someone else, not me. <laughs> but to take that involvement, to send people of your congregation, prepare them, Fund them, send them, and then go yourselves as well. I want to encourage you that maybe to, to send some of your, your leaders, uh, your elders, and their wives down to us, and, and we'll treat them to some uh, uh, guatita. That's tripe. Mmm, <laughs> mmm. Or guinea pig, or guinea pig, or something like that, you know, some delicacy like that. No, we'll, we'll, we'll watch out for you. But to send them to see how we're doing discipleship. And we're not doing it perfectly. But maybe it'll give you ideas how you could adapt it 
and further it here. And prepare people from your congregation to be the next generation of missionaries to maybe unreached areas. Or even reached areas that need more help, more work. With all that, I hope I've kind of pushed you a little bit out of your comfort zone this morning. And if I've done that, well, that's, a, that's a, the first step. But there's a lot of fear involved when you go into new areas. You change things. There's a lot of fear. But that's why, as we continue on in the Great Commission, it says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We fear the unknown, but the unknown is not unknown to God. And that says, with that saying, he says, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. What is your next step? What will be the step you take today? Do you need to make a decision of priorities in your life in order to dedicate more time to the ministry God has set before you? As much as an individual as well as a congregation. What is your next step? If you can't define a definite step that you need to do today, you probably won't, will not do it. We're just like that. Very few is a person that can have a vague idea and bring it into reality. We need something definite, something concrete. What will that step be today? I challenge you that as we, as we sing there.